Um, my wife has so much patience with me and tolerance with me. I am really, some people would consider me a, a sports fanatic. I think that's where they get fan from. I'm definitely a sports fan, especially when it comes to basketball and especially the NBA. So that I'll sit in front of a television for two and a half hours to watch a basketball game. Then as soon as the game is over, I'll watch the highlights of the game that they play right behind that. Then I'll turn to another sports station to watch the highlights of the highlights that they just showed of the game I watched for two and a half hours. And then the next day I'll wake up and turn on the sports station so I can see the highlights of the highlights of the highlights of the game I just watched for two and a half hours. And so the Holy Spirit said to me, Jeffrey Johnson, if you all will do that with sports, why don't we ever do that with scripture? Why do we always try to get it on the first try and think I never have to revisit it? One of the things that we have incorporated in this ministry is that whatever I preach on Sunday morning, then Pastor Jeffrey Allen Johnson II, one of the classes on Wednesday night is a debriefing of what I just talked about out of the scriptures on Sunday morning. And so he'll walk through it and explain what I had already explained on Sunday. He'll rehearse it and replay it and give the highlights. Other folk will begin to speak out about how it impacted them. And then there'll be a Q&A about that. So whatever I preach on Sunday, Pastor Jay turns around and gives the highlights and the replays of that. I didn't preach Sunday. Pastor Jay preached Sunday. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to give the highlights and a replay and rehearsal of what y'all just heard on Sunday from Pastor Jay. Because if you'll do that with sports, I don't think it's a problem that we do that with Scripture. So let's, let's see the highlights from Sunday. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Church, chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Listen to what God's word says. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. And they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, then the angel of the Lord, and then the angel suddenly left him. Amen. In verse 7, it says that the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. Verse 7, the chains fell off his wrists. And in verse 10, the iron door open to them all by itself. I want to talk about 
angels, chains, and opening doors. Angels, chains, and opening doors. Of course, we already know the setting for this as we replay the highlights. This is after the church was born in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit filled 120 believers and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to do so. 3,000 souls got saved, they got baptized, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 1 and 8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you're going to have power and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. And up until Acts chapter 8, they had only been witnesses in Jerusalem, but in Acts chapter 8, great persecution set in against the church. And now the church scattered out of Jerusalem, and they began to do what Jesus told them to do in the first place, to take that gospel, take that word, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, even to Antioch chapter 11. And in Antioch, that was the first place that the believers were called Christians. Then chapter 12 opens up and the persecution continues where King Herod persecutes not everybody but certain ones who belong to the church. And Herod, as we have the highlights, this is when you read in Scripture about Herod, it's not one Herod in Scripture. Y'all, it is one Herod family in Scripture. So... It's was a family that hated the church. It's a family that hated clergy. Church bashing and clergy bashing didn't start when social media came on the scene. And then that didn't start in the 21st century. That was going on in the first century. A whole family that hated preachers. So Herod the Great is the, is the one that sought to kill Jesus when he was a baby, when he went, sent those military police to Bethlehem to kill all the babies two years and under. That was his way to try to take out Jesus. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, he opened a book and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. So Herod the Great, the preacher hater. And then another Herod in the same family, uh, Herod Agrippa, he's, he's the one, or Herod Antipas, he's the one that cut off John the Baptist's head. And you know John the Baptist could preach. Even Jesus said, no man born of a woman is as great as John the Baptist." And then uh, Herod Agrippa II, or Herod Antipas I, he's the one now that just killed James, and now he's coming after Peter. And he locks Peter up, and he locks him and puts him in jail with the mindset, as soon as the holiday is over, as soon as the Passover passes, then we're going to bring him out Monday, and we're going to kill him too. Because some folk won't mess with you on a holy day. They won't bother you on Sunday. They won't mess with you on Easter, but as soon as that's over, they'll assassinate your attributes and kill your character and poison your personality. So they persecuted the church, locked Peter up, locked, and then killed James with the mindset, we're going to take Peter out after this. But they didn't go after everybody. They only went after certain ones who belonged to the church. Because everybody that comes to church doesn't belong to the church. I hear people say, well, man, I know people who belong to the church and they worse than me. And I understand that we're in different stages and, and different levels, that we have 
baby Christians and we have carnal Christians and we have spiritual Christians. I get that. But everybody that claims the church don't necessarily belong to the church. Because you can come to church and not belong to church. Because belonging to church, y'all, is a choice. It's a, you choose Christ. You choose salvation. You choose the church. And everybody coming don't belong. Y'all, everybody that puts on an Indiana Pacers jersey and goes to the game and stands on the floor and six nets to the players, they don't mean they belong to the team. Y'all ain't helping me. <laughs> you can show up with all the jersey on. And you can, you can come to the game, but it doesn't mean you belong to the team. Y'all, just because somebody puts on church clothes and downloads a sermon and wears a what would Jesus do bracelet and come in with a cross on, that don't mean they own the team. He said that there are those, they didn't go after everybody. Herod went after certain ones that belonged to the church, which means that when the enemy comes after you, it doesn't... I don't know why we think when we're persecuted, singled out for hurt, harm, and harassment, when we go through problems and pains, somehow we think something must be wrong with my faith because I'm going through these problems. No, it may mean that you have so much faith. They didn't go after everybody. They went after the ones that were a threat to the enemy's kingdom. I hear people talk about, well, I don't believe in the devil because the devil don't never mess with me. He may not mess with you because he might already have you. And he may not mess with you because you're not a threat to what he's trying to do. So, but those of you who are a threat to Satan's kingdom, I'm telling you, he'll come after you. And it doesn't mean that you miss God. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your faith. Y'all, they went after James. That's John's brother. That's Zebedee's son. That's the sons of thunder. Went after James, one of the first leaders of the early church, one of the lead pastors. He went after James because he's a threat to the enemy's kingdom. Put Peter in prison. That's the one that preached that one sermon and 3,000 folk got saved. He's a threat to the kingdom. And when you're a threat to the enemy's kingdom, I'm, I promise you he'll come after you. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen to this. Um, oh, I, I'll, I'll do it like this. And I, I cannot pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. Um, he, I, I call him the Greek freak. He plays for Milwaukee, and he's, he's from Greece. He's born in Greece, and he's so athletic, so freakish with his athleticism, a seven-foot point guard. So he's, to me, he's the Greek freak, great basketball player. And notice in the image I'm showing you, they got five players from Milwaukee on the court. Five players from the opposing team on the court, four of them are guarding the Greek freak. The other four players, nobody's on them. But when, when the Greek freak has the ball in his hand, he's such a threat to what the opposition is trying to do that the opposition believes if we can stop this Greek freak, then we can shut everything else down. I'm trying to show you all something. And when the Greek freak is on the bench doing nothing, unengaged, nobody is bothering him. The same way when you sit on the sideline doing nothing, the enemy doesn't bother you because you're no threat to what he's trying to do. But when you get in the game, when you stand on your faith, when you share your heart, when you tell people about Jesus, when you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, 
Y'all, that's when the opposition comes at you because the opposition believes if he can shut you down, he'll shut your family down. He'll shut your church down. He'll shut your... Is there anybody to know the enemy comes after? Not everybody, but certain ones who belong to the church. They persecuted the church. They killed James, put Peter in prison with the mindset, soon as his holy day is over, we're going to take him out too. And then they had Peter chained. And, and, and Peter had 16 guards that were watching over it, 16. Two guards were chained to him in the prison. Two guards were watching the big iron gate, that big iron door that he was locked inside of. And then every four hours, four fresh guards showed up to relieve them. So after four hours, these two go, then two more chain themselves to Peter. Two more watch the great iron door that is there. Four more hours pass. So he's got 16 guards that are watching over him. And let me give you the highlights from Sunday. And Peter was sleeping. I guess y'all didn't hear it. Church was being persecuted. James is already dead. Peter is in prison. They're going to take him out as soon as the holy days are over. And he's got 16 guards that are watching him. Two are chained to him. And through all of that, Peter is sleeping. He's resting in God. He still has confidence in the Lord. And I don't know why y'all ain't saying amen because somebody hurt your feelings two weeks ago and you ain't slept since. Because Peter understood Psalm 121, that he that keep of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. And Peter decided, since God can't sleep, I'm going to sleep because ain't no need in both of us being up all night. Some of y'all sit up there and watch the news all day and then toss and turn all night long. But I serve a God who neither sleeps nor slumbers. And whatever goes on in our lives, we ought to have enough confidence and trust to rest in God. And so there he is. And, um, and Peter is sleeping. And then the text says, and then a light shone in the prison. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. I want you to understand that, that God has an angel assigned to you. That, that angels will show up. Yo, know, angels are, are personalities who have spent time in the presence of God. They have the power of God, that they have the plan of God, that they're on a mission from God, an assignment from God, and, and angels will show up. And I know we live in the 21st century and folk don't believe in angels. I believe everything in the Bible. I believe it from cover to cover. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation, and I believe angels will show up. And I know there's only three angels that I know of that are named in Scripture, and I include Lucifer in that. Because he was, before he was the devil, he was an angel. And that angel did what you and I do uh, to become devilish. That he usurped the authority of God, got so arrogant and conceited, tried to put himself above God. And the next thing you know, devilment was his next reality. God didn't make him a devil. God made him an angel. 
But he, he did like you and I do, and he became devilish. And Jesus said, and I saw Satan fall like lightning. So there is, a, there is Lucifer mentioned. There's, there's Gabriel that is mentioned. There is Michael that is mentioned. Those are the only three names I know of in Scripture of angels. But that don't mean it's just three angels. Yo, God has a, a host of angels. God has a lot of angels. Uh, in, 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 in the book of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah, that's when he saw the Lord. And, and the temple was full of his glory. And cherubim and seraphim came and ministered in that place. Cherubim, the very fact it ends with I am out of the Hebrew means it's plural. It's more than one. Seraphim, it ends with I am out of the Hebrew. It's more than one. God's got more than, than three angels, y'all. He's got a host of angels. When those shepherds, the day Jesus was born of that virgin and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in an in a eating trough, lying in a manger, and those shepherds were at work at night. The, the Bible says that a host of angels, a bunch of angels, showed up out there giving praise and honor to God and pointing them to where the newborn king was. Because God's got more than three angels. In Revelation chapter 12, when that red dragon was attacking that woman and her child, trying to destroy that baby as soon as the baby was born, but then the baby got snatched up. It says that Michael and his archangels warred against the red dragon and his angels because God's got more than one angel. God has a host of angels, and angels will show up. And I'm convinced that God has an angel assigned to you. Joshua, when they crossed over the Jordan River, getting ready to fight for the Canaan land, the promised land, Joshua was walking around by himself, and an angel of the Lord showed up for him. And then um, Daniel was in the lion's den, stayed there all night. The next morning, King Nebuchadnezzar hollered through the stone in front of the cave, Daniel, has your God delivered you? And Daniel said, by God, send an angel. I believe God's got angels assigned to us. Jesus fasted and prayed 40 days and when he came out of that he was tempted but overcame the temptation and it said and an angel of the Lord came and ministered unto him I believe God's got an angel and some of y'all don't even recognize your angel you've been entertaining somebody and you thought they were just a common person no they were the angel that God assigned to you and I believe that these angels that God has assigned to you have the very thing you need in your life to address what you're facing, all of your fears, all of your health issues, all of your problems, your financial issues, your family issues. There's an angel God assigned, and he's got the answer that you need. I already know your question. If God has an angel assigned to me that's got everything I need, then why hasn't the angel brought me what I need? Because the angel can't get a release until God lets him go. And God ain't going to let him go till you call on God in prayer. So there's an angel in glory right now at the banister of heaven with everything you need waiting to bring it to you, but God won't release him because you won't call on God. But I know I got some witnesses in here when you call on the name of the Lord, God will release your angel and bring you what you need. Big Mama said all day and all night, I know I got a witness. Now, angels keep a watch over me. And suddenly this angel appeared. And, and then got Peter to his deliverance. Now, I'm, I'm, as we do these highlights, notice the deliverance of Peter was not all at once. It was a process. The angel showed up and woke him up, and then Peter got up 
And the angel said, now get dressed up. And then he followed the angel and he went to the door. Then the door opened and then he got, it didn't happen all at once. It was a process. And that's what some of us don't get. We think that every time God answers our prayers, every time God brings our deliverance and our salvation, we think it's going to be all at once. No, and we do serve a right now God. Pastor Stephen Clay says God is, is sooner than immediately and quicker than right now. And, and we've seen God heal immediately. We've seen God deliver immediately. But he doesn't always do it like that. Sometimes he does it in a process. Wake up, get up, get dressed, follow. It's a process. And somebody said, well, preacher, you know, you're saying it's a process, but the text says that uh, suddenly the angel appeared. And it does say sudden. Don't confuse suddenly with immediately. Because something can happen Suddenly. It don't mean it happened immediately. There's a difference between that. Because it says in verse 5, and the church kept on praying. Pastor Jeffrey Johnson II says there's power in prayer. And the church kept on praying. And the church was, was consistent in their prayer. And their, but we don't know how long they prayed. So you're thinking it happened immediately. It doesn't say it happened immediately. We don't know if they prayed for an hour or a day or days. We don't know how long they prayed. So it didn't happen immediately, but thank God it happened suddenly. When God gets ready to move, oh hallelujah, God will show up with an angel in your situation and give you what you need suddenly. One of my friends said he had a big check show up at his house. It wasn't a, a paycheck, it wasn't an income tax return, it wasn't some things he's in, it wasn't none of those. His wife didn't recognize uh, the business that he got the check from. And so the check was so large, she didn't even wait till he got home. She called him on his job. Said, were you expecting a check? Because you got a check here, and I don't know what this is all about. It's a big check. Were you expecting a check? Here's my friend's response. Yes, I was expecting an unexpected check. I said, man, what do you mean by that? He said, man, I'm, I'm a tither. I give a tithe and an offering. So I was expecting an unexpected check, and I know I got some witnesses in here. I'm looking for houses and automobiles. I'm looking for scholarships and fellowships. I'm looking for checks in the mail and bills paid off and surprises. I'm, I'm looking for a miracle. I expect the impossible. Do I have a witness in here? The sky is the limit to what, y'all, you need to expect the unexpected, and suddenly an angel showed up. Even in the persecution, even when Peter was in prison, even when James was killed, the angels showed up. Y'all, your storms don't prevent angels from showing up. This was, where was it? In Springfield, Massachusetts. It's been a few years ago in Springfield, Massachusetts. A woman was driving down the street and saw a, a tornado coming. And she didn't know how to handle the tornado, so she just pulls over to the side of the road and hoping the tornado was going to pass. And when the tornado came, man, there, a big tree was uprooted and fell on her car. And she had her small children in the back seat, and she says she began to pray. She could see the storm. She saw the tornado coming, and a tree fell on the car. She's got small children in the back, and bricks are flying, debris is flying, cars all over the place. And she said, she began to pray. And here's what she said, I didn't think we were going to make it. She said, I thought we were going to die. And then when the tornado passed by, they were, they were talking to her as a survivor. 
And she said, I, I honestly believe the only reason I made it was because of that big tree. She said, had it not been for that tree that fell on our car, then we would not have made it. And I just want to tell somebody that even in your storm, the tree on Calvary's hill still were. Jesus, Peter said, died on the tree. Anybody in here because the tree brought you safe thus far? And Big Mama and them said, and I don't believe he brought you this far to leave you alone. I got to rush with these highlights. Supposed to be highlights. And angels will show up. And it says that when that angel showed up, then the chains fell off Peter's wrist. He was chained to two guards and two watching the door. Every four hours, four more guards would come in. But when the angel showed up, chains fell. I'm so glad that I serve a God that's still able to get chains off of us. Okay, y'all not saying amen. Peter, Peter is a Christian, but he's still in chains. Peter is saved, but he's still in shackles. Peter is a believer, but he's still in bondage. Because some of us, I'm not arguing your salvation. You believe Jesus down on the cross. You believe God raised him from the dead. You received him by faith. I'm not arguing your salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm not arguing your salvation. But some of us who are believers are still in bondage to something. Drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality, pornography, other people. We're in bondage to something. Even though you're, you're, you're Christian, you're saved. And I'm trying to tell you that God can get those shackles to fall off of you. You don't have to stay the way you are. That's what's going on with Peter. He's in prison. He's, he's in a place. He's in bondage in a place that God doesn't want him to be. I'm so tired of arguing with people in the 21st century of what is right and wrong. I'm tired of that. I'm not even going to argue with you right and wrong. What I'm going to argue with you, don't be asking me, is it right to go here? Is it wrong to be here? No. Ask yourself, is this the place God wants me to be? Forget right or wrong. Is this where God, does God want me in this dark situation? Does God want me chained like this? Does God want me behind this door? Does God, is this where God wants me? Because some of us are in places God doesn't want us to be in. And it's a bondage. Because if it wasn't a bondage, you would walk away from it. Come on, I can leave anytime I, I, I want to. No, you can't. Who want to stay in bondage in drugs and alcohol and sexual promiscuity and sleeping with somebody and don't even know their name when you wake up? And who wants to be in places like, nobody wants to be in bondage like that. And the good news is, God can get those chains to fall. And he wasn't just in bondage in a place. He was in bondage to people. 16 people that didn't want him free. 16 people that didn't want him emancipated. 16 people that didn't want him liberated. There were 16 people that were around him that didn't want him to come out of what he was in. Caused me to ask you a question. How many people in your concentric circle of contact don't want to see you free? Don't want to see you deliver. And they didn't want to see, these are 16 guards, y'all. They get paid to be there. 
So they're benefiting from his bondage. If he were not in bondage, it wouldn't be a profit to them. And for somebody, you codependent on somebody, they don't convince you, you can't make it without them, don't nobody else want you. No, they just know that as long as they got you all jacked up and messed up in your head, they benefit from your bondage. Uh, where was this? Oh, we were in New Orleans. Pastor David Page and I, we used to travel together. And, uh, and we were in New Orleans, and we were there for the Full Gospel Baptist Fellowship Conference. Bishop Paul S. Morton was the international presiding bishop, and we were staying at the Hyatt Regency at the Superdome in New Orleans. There was this before the levees broke. And it, it was a great place, and we went to the conference. Thousands of people were showing up, preaching and teaching and hearing God's Word. We were in there shouting the, some of the best gospel music in the world took place at the Full Gospel Baptist Fellowship Conference. And then after that service, and we, we were in there from, you know, we would go from 6 in the morning, we'd be there to after midnight at night. So it was, a, it was the evening program, and after it ended, before we went to the late night service, late night service, we went back to the hotel. So thousands of people now going back to the Hyatt, hundreds of us trying to get on four elevators to go up to our floor. And so that, that door opened. And all of us rushed into those elevators. And I didn't care. I'm getting in this elevator. We were in there just so. I, but I'm telling you, I don't want to wait two hours to get to my floor. So we all in there, and it's tight, and it's full. And then we all pushed the button we wanted to go to. What floor are you on? Because we couldn't get to it. What floor are you on? So they, everybody's a Christian, right? They're helping each other out. And then a loud sound, an alarm kept sounding. Alarm kept going off, and the doors wouldn't cooperate. And a loud sound, alarms were going off and off. We jammed in there, and the doors wouldn't cooperate. And we knew what that meant. This thing has a weight limit to it. We got too many people on here that the only way we're going to get to the level God wants us to be, somebody got to get off. And all of us who love Jesus and just shouted about how glorious he was, none of us were willing to get off. But the alarm kept sounding, and the doors would not cooperate. Till finally one person stepped off that elevator. Then the doors cooperated. The alarm stopped sounding. And we got to the level God wanted us to be at. I wonder if the doors in your life are not cooperating. And you still as low down as you've always been. And can't get to where God wants you to be. Because you got the wrong person on your elevator. Y'all ain't saying amen. Y'all must be thinking about somebody. Y'all thinking about. And as soon as they step off, the same one that said, you can't make it without me. God will get you to where you need to be. I was, um, where was, oh, oh, my family. This is my, this is when my nieces, my nieces and nephews, they grown now. My nieces and nephews, we, uh, our whole family went to Virginia Beach. And uh, we rented three houses. My grand, you know, we have big family. All it was, it was the best trip, one of the best trips I ever been on. And and we had a lot of fun. And my nieces and nephews, they they used to love. Now they grown, but they used to love me, and they used to think the world about me. And Uncle Jeffrey, oh Uncle Jeffrey, they thought I knew everything, could do everything. That was when they were young. Now they grown. And so we were at at, at Virginia Beach, and I love kites. I still love kites to this day. And so I, I went and bought a kite, and we flying the kite. And I always buy extra string because I want to see how high I can get it to go. And so they've never seen my nieces and nephews. We all flying a kite. Let them take turns, and then I let that string out. They had never seen a kite that high before. They thought I was the one holding the kite up there. And I let them think it too. Yeah, nobody else can do this. Only your Uncle Jeffrey got it like this. 
And I don't know if y'all ever flown kites before, but a, a gust of wind came through there and took that kite out of my hand and the string dropped and here, me and my nieces and that we all running out and the kite just kept getting higher and higher and higher and higher after I let it go. They caught me. I wasn't holding it up. I was holding it back. I wasn't holding it up. I was holding it down. Somebody told you, you better not leave me. You better, you better do it because you can't make it without me. And they convince you they holding you up. They're not holding you up because when the Holy Ghost blows in, he's able to take you to a level you would not have gotten if you get out of their hand and put it in the hand of God. Do I have a witness in here? I got one more. We got to, I, we got to get to the altar to pray. I don't have time to work. It's just a highlight anyway. And that is that God still opens doors. God is, a, and I, I, put on, I put on the outline that, that uh, you know, the angels show up and then chains fall off and then doors open up. And I know that's redundant. I did that intentionally. Because if they open, you don't need up. <laughs> Come on. I know we got an English teacher somewhere, right? If the doors open, you don't need to put up. But I want it to be redundant because I want you to understand. Stop waiting on some man or somebody else to open a door for you. God can open a door up. God can make it happen. And, and the Bible teaches us that Jesus can open doors that no one can close. Oh, y'all didn't say amen. Y'all, I'm just rehearsing Sunday's message that when Peter and the angels started walking towards the door, that iron gate, the door opened on its own accord. But watch this. It didn't start opening until Peter started walking towards the door. Some of y'all wondering why doors are not opening because you ain't walking. First, first, Peter had to wake up. Then Peter had to get up. Then the angel said, now dress up, because where God can ready to take you, you can't dress like this. Boy, I wish y'all were getting it. Where, what God's getting ready to do in your life, you're not appropriately dressed. For, that's cool when you're in bondage. That's cool when you chain the folk that don't care about you. But where God is getting ready to take you, you can't look like, oh boy, y'all, every December, and I got to shut this down, every December, uh, my wife and I go to Miami, Florida. Every December. One year, we ain't coming back. One of these years. <laughs> we'll go down there. And we go, and we go in December because, you know, it's freezing cold in Indianapolis. So we go to Miami. It's 81 degree, 82. In, in December, we go every year. And, uh, and, and if you're not careful, you'll catch me at the airport with my shorts on and my T-shirt and my flip-flops at the Indianapolis International Airport. And people out there with coats and scarves and hats, and they looking at me. They say, he crazy, dressed like that. No, because y'all dress for where y'all are. I dress for where I'm going. And that's what I want somebody to understand. Don't just think about where you are. Think about where God is getting ready to take you. Dress where you're getting. Is there anybody here that know God still opens doors? But it wasn't until they started walking, I got to shut it down. They start walking towards the doors, and then the doors open. And you're wondering, why won't God open the door before I start walking? Because God says, Jeffrey Johnson, I don't want to waste open doors. Why would I open a door for you and you won't walk towards what you believe I have for you? I don't waste open doors. 
But if you, we, we say, God, if you open the door, I'll start walking. God says, no, you start walking and I'll open the door. Because God says, I can't always trust you to walk, but you can always trust me to open doors. Do I have a way? Walk towards your degree. Walk towards your career. Walk towards your, is there anybody that knows God opens doors? Here it is. I, I, I put on there, God opens doors with an S. And we didn't get to read all the way down to verse 16. Because when Peter got delivered, he was still in the streets. Some of y'all delivered, but you in the streets. But once he realized God did this for me, he got out of the streets and went to the church. I don't got time to work it. Read it on your own where you get a chance. And when he got to, to John Mark's mom's house, Mary's house, and uh, that's where the believers were meeting in that house. And he started knocking on the door. Remember, verse 5, and the church kept on praying. Well, Jay Allen says, there's power in prayer. Church kept on praying, and they were praying for Peter in the prison. And then the answer started knocking on the door. A little girl ran up there and heard Peter's voice, went back. She, she was so excited, she didn't open the door. Said, Peter's on the other side of the door. They said, girl, you crazy. And, and, and I'm trying to figure out, aren't y'all praying for Peter to get free? And now after God answers the prayer, you calling the little girl crazy because she believed the prayer's been answered? But they didn't open the door because they were afraid. God sent the answer, but they didn't open the door. Out of, I don't know who I'm preaching to this afternoon, but God already has opened the door for you. Your answer is already there. He sent it, but you're so afraid to follow through on what you said God wanted. And that's the other door, and he came. God is in the business of opening. I praise God for that. Y'all, there is power in prayer. My grandmother used to say, just a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your trouble. He'll hear your fainted cry. He'll answer by and by. Just a little talk with Jesus. Won't it make everything all right? Somebody give God high glory for these highlights. Come on, stand with me. Meet me at this altar.